whoever is listening guys welcome back my name is grayson mann and this is episode 129 of the man with plan podcast or if you've been following us closely for the last couple of weeks this is part three of a new clemson football preview series and today we're gonna have back on connor o'neill who is doing both work for cot for duke and wait for both rivals programs so connor thank you for returning and happy fourth of july weekend or week thank you yeah um we're coming up on it um yeah thanks for having me back uh enjoyed the first one uh enjoyed talking duke and uh i've covered wake for longer um it's it's interesting i try to split my time between the two but um definitely when it comes to knowing you know, the recent history of the program and knowing more former players, uh, Wake is is where that would tip the scales. So for you, I think it's interesting managing two sites. Can you just kind of walk through the audience, your process for that, especially when it comes to like football season or basketball season? How do you manage what's more important in terms of just trying to divide and conquer, essentially? Yeah, um, I've gotten some really good advice from uh, our our Associated Press guy in the Triangle, uh, Aaron Beard, who he went from being a a two-man group covering four teams to a one-man group, uh, one-man army, so to speak. And so he talked to me a lot in the beginning of this uh, journey, I guess, about, you know, you're you're just going to have to come to grips with some things are going to get past you. Like, there's... There's no way you can uh, dedicate all the time. Like, from my perspective, I was coming off just being the Wake Forest beat reporter. So there's no way I could dedicate as much time as I did to Wake Forest and then also pick up everything from Duke. So there there are some days, there are some weeks. Um, the, the last, you know, month, month and a half is a pretty good example of it uh, with Wake Forest and Duke going to – uh, super regionals and, and Wake Forest going to Omaha in, in college baseball. Um, you know, it was like sometimes the, the focus had to be where I was and I was at Wake Forest for the most part. Uh, but, you know, there was uh, the selection show. Um, Duke had an event and so I was at Duke and, and I was giving more attention to Duke because that's just they, they had the event. Uh, I could be there live. So it's just things like that. Uh, it's just constant prioritization. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not all over recruiting like other rival sites are, but um, that's hopefully coming in the future. Um, and, and right now it's just kind of, let me make sure I can establish a base and establish trust with people at the schools and uh, let's go from there. Yeah, absolutely. It's It's fascinating to be able to have to, manage it feels like two completely different worlds in certain cases um it is two it is two different jobs that is yeah. the one part of it that i was not prepared for um they're two different they're they're two completely different beats uh wake forest people they care about uh you know the three sports that i dedicate 98 percent of my time to are uh football basketball and baseball uh wake fans care about an equal amount for each one um Obviously, Duke, it's a little uh, basketball heavy. Uh, it's it's Duke basketball, and that's a national brand. I mean, you, you yeah. kind of – you would go in expecting that, but I wasn't expecting it to be as much of a difference in uh, how I would cover them. Yeah, absolutely. So we we can transition into 
2022 for Wake Forest, starting out with Sam Hartman and just his story, I think, is just following since his time on QB1, uh, going to having an impressive career at Wake Forest. Can you try to just walk through what that year was like? You have a notable win against FSU on the road. You take Clemson all the way to double overtime, finish off, and I think it's the Gasparilla Bowl against Missouri. What was this final year like with Sam Hartman, A.T. Perry, and Dave Clawson with this with this group? Yeah, it's kind of – I mean, I like to tell people about Sam. He he kind of lived a full life before he even got to Wake Forest with, with the things that he went through in high school. Um, so, I guess it makes sense that he had so many twists and turns once he got to Wake uh, with the – 2020 uh covid year you know he he was the starter as a true freshman in 2018 he lost his job he started one game in 2019 got the job back and had a good start to 2020 didn't finish 2020 really well the team didn't finish 2020 really well um 21 was obviously a magical season for wake uh you know once in a once in a 10 to 15 year type of season for them uh based on where their program has been uh, so last season, we went into it knowing it was going to be Sam's last year at Wake. He had said since the spring that it was going to be his last year no matter what. Um, there was some thought that the medical issue had had kind of thrown a wrench into that. Um, you know, the medical issue was something I've, I've never had experience covering anything like that. Uh, something that... Um, it was interesting to cover. I mean, it, it was, you know, it got to the point where I was hearing so many things and I was, I was pretty sure about what it was and, and it still got to a point where it was like, this is not, you know, this, this is a medical issue. This is not maybe my news to break. Uh, we'll just let, let things play out as they will. He only missed one game. So it didn't wind up being a mysterious and dragged out thing over a multi-month period um as for wake season i mean the game you thought would crush them was the clemson game and just the way they lost that game being right there step for step with clemson uh at that point i thought dj uigalgale was turned the corner and was a heisman contender like i watched him throw seven touchdowns and he looked pretty good to me that day um but man uh the one the the loss that crippled him came about a month later with the with the Louisville game, and that was just one disastrous third quarter. Uh, I, I we were told that the carryover effect didn't didn't last into the NC State game the next week. I have doubts about that. I think that you know Sam Harvin throws another. I think it was three interceptions against NC State. Um, it just you know, rally is a tough place to win, especially at on uh, in a night game. That's an electric atmosphere. I think Clemson might be the only place in the ACC that has a more electric atmosphere for a night game than, than NC State. But uh, that was a game Wake should have won. Uh, Wake had the Carolina game won and gave it away. They had a nice bounce back um, against Syracuse there in, in November, but then lost to Duke. And so it wound up being four losses in the last five games. They beat Missouri in the Gasparilla Bowl. I mean, you know, 
it's beating a team that finished six and seven. So how excited can you get? It's a pre-Christmas bowl. So again, how excited can you get? News comes out the night of the Gasparilla Bowl that Sam Hartman is going to transfer to Notre Dame. Uh, that was the rumor all along. That was it, it was always going to be Notre Dame. He didn't enter the portal until after Christmas, but that was a formality. Um, it's just it, it was kind of a, a weird season to cover. Um, you knew they were unlikely to get back to where they were in 21. Like a lot of things fell right that you you either were going to see them fall right again in 22 and they were going to have another double digit win season or some of those things weren't going to break their way. And and the latter happened and uh, eight and five is a really good season uh, based on Wake's history. I mean, it's a program that traditionally, I think their winning percentage is something like 425 or 430. Eight and five is a good season. Getting to a seventh straight bowl game is a good season. It's just not where this program should want to be uh, coming off of 21. Yeah, and it, I think this year is it comes with the challenge of replacing Hartman, H.C. Perry. There's a big void, I feel, that this offense has to really – someone's got to step in and fill those shoes. With your observations in the spring, what have you seen so far? How can these do – these this new? basically it feels like a new offense at this point with – this Sam Hartman, I'm looking at it right now. I think he led two of the top scoring offenses in Wake's entire history, and they're in 125 season. Where who's going to fill in that void for Sam Hartman? What have you seen, and how do you feel like the team has responded moving forward? Yeah, so it, it's funny because you look at the stats and you say Sam and At are the two guys that they're going to struggle the most to replace because they had the biggest stats. They had huge numbers for for several years there. Those are actually the two spots that I think Wake is fine. Um, Mitch Griffiths is going to come in at quarterback. He's going to have some growing pains. Uh, it's not going to be his first start. He started the game that Sam missed last year against VMI. It's, you know, attach all the caveats to it. It's VMI. It's the FCS. Uh, it, it, Mitch still looked really good. Mitch looked really capable of running a college offense. Um Mitch is going to remind some people of John Wolford just in body type and running style and uh, arm strength and arm accuracy wise. He throws a really nice ball. Um, and then receiver, man, they lose A.T. Perry and it's still like they've got a, a top three receiver room in the ACC and it might not be two or three. Um, Donovan Green has been really good for a couple of years coming off of his ACL. Uh, he missed the 21 season. I have that right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jamal Banks is a budding superstar. Uh, he was kind of third in line behind Donovan and AT last year. And uh, still had, I think, eight or nine touchdowns. He's a he's a phenomenal receiver. He's going to be really, really good. Two stars in the slot. I mean, Wake always makes stars out of their slot receivers. But Taylor Morin and Keyshawn Williams are really good there. Wesley Grimes was a recruiting victory uh, coming out of Raleigh. He was a four-star receiver. He contributed a little bit last year. He was the first receiver at Wake not to not redshirt since 2015. And you got a little glimpse of him. I think he had a couple catches against Army that showed you what he could do. Uh, offensively, at, at, at quarterback and receiver, they're going to be fine. Uh, running back, Justice Ellison gives you a lot of – a lot of uh, 
the way I want to phrase this. Uh, Justice Ellison is really experienced. Right? He's a fourth-year running back. I'm waiting to see if we see him take his game to the next level. I think he's capable of it. I just don't know if he does it this year or not. Uh, Demond Claiborne is kind of the home run hitter behind him where he could take something that looks like a three-yard gain and turn it into 30. Um, he's going to be really interesting to watch. Where they've got to plug some holes is the offensive line. Um, they've got to replace their two guards, Sean McGinn and Loic Nagasamnaya. They've got to replace a, a left tackle in um, Javiate Nash. It's good that they've got Michael Jurgens back. He's coming back maybe as a center, but maybe as a guard. Uh, Luke Pettibone, they really like at center, and he's got some significant experience over the last couple of years. Um, but but we're really gonna really gonna see how good this offense can be with a first year quarterback, uh, at least first year as the starting quarterback, and uh, in front of a revamped offensive line. Uh, the the line is the one that I'm gonna have a pretty close eye on in those open practices in fall camp. Yeah, it's uh, a lot of a lot of restructuring going around with these ACC teams, and it'll be interesting to see Sam Hartman in a different a different goal this time around for so this is actually this is one of the questions that really when I did this series and started it it was really been on my mind I remember it was probably six or seven months ago I was listening to a podcast and Dabo was talking about ACC coaches and he felt were extremely underrated and the top of his list was Dave Clawson and he said some a guy that's consistently really just had a kid like you said seven straight bowl games that they've been to a program that's really flown under the radar for him where does he rank within your ACC coaches and how does this program I guess this can be part two to that question how does this program define success moving forward I think we've there's a theme of this series has been how do these different programs on different paths define a successful season for Wake Forest what does that what does that entail this year but first, uh, Dabo yeah. and Austin are buddies. Uh, you will not catch them saying a, a bad word about each other. I don't think even off the record. They they seem to genuinely get along. And that was always an interesting thing to me, covering, you know, pour some out for the Atlantic and the Coastal Divisions. But when, when Clemson really had a stranglehold of the division, um, it was always interesting to gauge other coaches and how they treated Dabo. Uh, Dave Clawson, it was nothing but respect, and uh, he 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 buddied up to Dabo. Uh, other coaches, Dave Dorian comes to mind at NC State. He wanted to kind of antagonize him a little bit and kind of try to get under Dabo's skin sometimes with, you know, the laptop stuff. Uh, that that's the main one that comes to mind there. Um, it's just an interesting approach, and and there's more than one way to skin a cat. There's there's more than one way to kind of knock the king off the throne. Uh, I guess Wake did that. It was kind of done for them in 21 with with uh, winning the Atlantic, but not having a win against Clemson. That felt a little hollow to me. But um, yeah, you're never gonna get a bad word out of out of Dave about Dabo and about Dabo about and from Dabo about Dave. Uh, Wake moving forward, I think. The goal has always kind of been win the ACC. Uh, it's not a program that goes into it saying like, well, we're trying to win the ACC, but we have bigger goals. Like, 
if you win the ACC, typically you're going to at least be in the talk for a CFP berth. And that's going to be even more so the case when you move forward into the 12-team playoff instead of the four. Uh, that's that's going to be it. Um, it's not going to it's not going to be a program that sells itself as more than it is, uh, at, at least under Clawson. Um, they're going to be realistic. They know they know that uh, they are still no matter how successful things get, they still have to have some degree of being a developmental program. They're still going to get the kids that, you know, their offensive linemen are not going to come in and be 320 pounds with 7% body fat. Uh, they're going to be the type of kids that like multi-sport athletes and come in at 260 and they, uh, Clawson refers to it often as the incubator. Uh, his offensive line coach, Nick Tobacco, refers to it as the incubator. Uh, they've got to they got to get their offensive linemen in and give them a year or two to put on a bunch of weight, get the bad weight off. Uh, they're still going to be at that level. Um, I don't know if that's ever going to change for Wake Forest, like in the vast uh, unknown of the future. Like, I, I just don't know as long as the school maintains its status as a small academic focused private school in the South, like that's who you are. And what you've seen under Clawson is they've really embraced that. Uh, they they tout the the student attendance. I mean, some of these games they've had in the last couple of years coming out of COVID, they've had 80% of the student body show up for football games. Uh, it's just, it's ridiculous. Uh, the, the support and, um, you know, you'll, you'll see more of that as long as you can sustain, you know, seven eight wins like i'm talking about last year's eight win season as as kind of a down year and kind of a disappointing year eight wins is is about as good as it gets for wake forest if you look at their history uh save for a couple years and a couple runs to acc championships or a couple 10 win seasons back when they had a guy named p head coaching them in the in the 40s and 50s so um it's it's a program that has not had a lot of historic success it's having a lot of success now and as long as the infrastructure is there and as long as the support is there it should continue to aspire to have that success for sure absolutely yeah that the way you describe it in talking about hey eight wins this is that's great and like just hearing that different the different perspectives across the the conference is that is what Dave Clawson has been able to maintain is that it's been very status quo for the last seven, eight seasons that it's been a very consistently it's been, it's always felt like they've either been improving or staying in that same comfortable spot. If that makes any sense. That was the biggest thing, Dave. That's the biggest point that Dave wanted to make after the Gasparilla bowl was he thought he felt like it was a successful season. He felt like eight and five beat a, mediocre at best SEC team in the Gasparilla Bowl, that's a good year. And that probably rubs some people in his fan base the wrong way. Um, there was a little bit of talk of that going into the game, so they were already kind of the, – the gears were churning toward this. And his point to go along with it was look at how far the program has come, that eight and five, and some of our fans are disappointed, like, you know, some of our players, this is kind of, they wanted more. Um, that's what 
the season that they had in 21 can do for your program. That's what a kind of an anchor. It's, it's not been all the way uh, linear. Uh, there was, there were a couple bumps in the road in 18 and 20, but mostly it's been pretty incremental. And so it looks like you took a step back when you go from 11 wins to eight wins, but the, the overall point remains like eight and five. That's a winning season. That's a bowl win. Um, look at where the bar has been raised uh, for Wake football to to have some people disappointed with an eight and five season. Yeah, that's not typical of what, based on what you said, it's not typical of Wake Forest, I guess. Maybe the standard of the expectation, but you always like to see that in the fan base and the players saying, hey, we can shoot better. We can aim for that. So when I look at the 23 schedule, for Wake, it opens up with Elon again. They have a real chance to start four and zero before they head to Clemson. Matchups against Vanderbilt, Old Dominion, Georgia Tech. For Wake, how important will those first four games be to get Griffiths adjusted heading into this match against Clemson? And in your eyes, do you see history potentially repeating itself with a Demon Deacons team giving Clemson trouble in Death Valley, or is this going to be a different story this time around? It's a different animal in Death Valley for Clemson or uh, for Wake Forest. Um, I've been there three times now to cover Wake playing in Clemson, and it always feels like it takes at least a quarter for Wake to adjust to the noise and the atmosphere. And, you know, Wake only plays a couple games a year in front of more than 50,000 people. Uh, their stadium is small. I don't I don't know that anybody would debate that. I don't know if I'm rubbing anybody the wrong way with that, but it's a stadium that only holds 31 five. Uh, I think Clemson gets that with just one half of the stadium <laughs> without the end zone and without the other side of it. So. Those two games uh, at Clemson at Virginia Tech, uh, those even though Virginia Tech is coming off a god awful year. Those are ones that I look at and say, man, th those those are places that Wake has not played well in the past. And it's actually it's the reverse of a of a two week swing in 2019 that kind of set Wake Forest backward. Uh, injuries had a lot to do with it to to keep players, but they were I think it was seven and one and went up to Virginia Tech and got destroyed on Bud Foster Day. Like that was the day Bud Foster was oh. was kind of honored. He was outgoing as Virginia Tech's coordinator. Uh, and then they went down to Clemson, and I think the final score at Clemson was fifty-two to three. Uh, and that was a that was an eight and five Wake Forest team. That was a team that had gotten into the CFP rankings for the first time in program history, and just went down and you know took a loss like a Gardner Webb or or somebody like that would take at Clemson. It was just it doesn't often work out well when Wake plays in front of those large large. Uh, crazy Saturday crowds and uh yeah those first four games man they've got to be the ramp for Mitch Griffiths they've got to be the ramp for a lot of other guys too um the defense has to has to get adjusted has to kind of fit some pieces in uh Wade's defensive line is a major question mark for me going into the season so and, and then you're you're looking at it like that that off week uh comes awfully early uh September off week like Wake for as long as I've covered them, this is going to be my seventh season. Uh, the off week has always fallen right in the middle of the season. Like Mike, right smack dab, you play six games, you're off a week, you play another six, and then you figure out your bowl. It's 
it's daunting to look at uh, those first four games and you figure, you know, not at worst, but like the, they really should be no worse than three and one in those games. Uh, maybe you slip up at Old Dominion and is a weird place to play. Maybe Vanderbilt comes in and is that much more experienced under Clark Lee. Maybe Georgia Tech is fired up to play for Brent Key. Uh, I kind of think it's going to take him a year to get things going there. But yeah, four and zero oh is, is certainly realistic. And then, oof, that that October. Um, <laughs> You have the two road games against teams that you you do not play well at those places typically. Then you come home and you have to play Pitt and Florida State. Uh, I think those are probably two of the most, what, four or five talented rosters in the ACC. Um, certainly with Florida State, you know, they're they're one or one or two um, every just like every year. Maybe this is finally their year. Um, then you talk about the. Wake Forest has not played well in November in in ages. Uh, I, I don't – I'll know the numbers uh, when we get to October. But, um, man, the, the November record is not good for Wake. Uh, it's been under Dave Clawson, under Jim Grove. But whoever the coach is, November is not a kind month. Uh, it's when depth runs thin. It's when some things get exposed. Even, even when they won the uh, – even when they won the Atlantic two years ago, I think they were still two and two in November. Uh, it's just not a good, not a good month, uh, typically. And that's that's kind of the fun of this. Uh, see if they can change the script. See if you know these these baked in storylines that you write year after year after year. See if you can eat your words about them. See if see if the team uh, exceeds your expectations. Yeah, to kick off. And they'll November. they'll have a chance. I mean, that trip to South Bend in there in November, Ooh. man, that's a that's going to be a wild month. Yeah, and you got your cross pollination with a uh, with Duke over there, so that it could be a uh, that'll be fun for you. Uh, really, really, hats off to the ACC for making that a Thursday night game. So, um, <laughs> oh uh, no, really? Yeah, that's that's uh, November second is a Thursday night at seven thirty. So. Oh, I'll appreciate the extra uh, extra day or so to recover uh, before the next week because the next week is is kind of big four weekend. Um, Wake plays host to NC State and Duke goes to Carolina, so I'll have to I'll have to do some juggling that weekend, and and I'm glad I have an extra day to prepare for it. But man, that Thursday night, yeah, that's that's gonna be a a lot of stories, a lot of stuff coming out. Um, yeah, and everybody always likes to give me give me crap about who am I covering that night. It's like, well, I mean, I I cover both. You know, I, I'm here to cover both teams. You'll be there at least to see them both, so you'll have that advantage, I guess. So, Connor, thanks once again for doing this. Then this will be part three. We had to do some schedule shuffling just because of the Fourth of July holiday, and our interview with our Syracuse writer will be on will come out on Friday, I think, with this dropping on Wednesday. Guys, hope you have a great 4th of July, and just stay tuned for this series. We're going to continue to keep rolling. And, Connor, thanks again. you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? I think we're good. I think uh, we'll, we'll see how this shakes out. I'm not going to pick up a third team, so I think this is my last appearance with you for, for the summer. We'll have to see. We might have to bring it back for just one last two But guys, this was episode 129 of the Man with the Plan podcast and episode three of our Clemson football series. Guys, thank you so much 
Have a fantastic day, fantastic week, and as always, take care.